As we come now before God's word, if you'd like to read with me and maybe warm your fingers by turning the pages, uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 13. It's Hebrews chapter 13. And before we read here, would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are our shepherd, and you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, you do this so that we would honor you, and you call us to follow you, so would you help us now to listen to the words that you've given us here? Would you guide us in your good paths? We trust you and we want to follow you. We need your help to do that. Guide us now by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. We'll begin here in verse 7, uh, which is where we began uh, last week, but we'll read on a bit further. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of God. Now, we are just a whisper away here from the end of the book of Hebrews. Next Sunday will be the final week here with Hebrews as we look at the author's benediction and closing to the book. So now as the author is winding down here with his final words, he wants to send off his listeners well down the road of faith. So if you've got a kindergartner, 
or at some point in life have had a kindergartner or know a kindergartner on their first day of school. There might have been lots of things leading up to that particular day. Uh, uh, Maybe you had to enroll them in in school. Maybe you had to buy all the school supplies with the ever-growing list of things that kids need for school. Maybe you talked with that child about the expectations and how things might go. But when that first day of school comes and that child is about to walk out the door, you might do a few things. You might hug kiss the child. You might lick your thumb and do one of those, you know, face wipes and maybe make sure that hair is put down really nicely. You might make sure they've got their sack lunch in their hands. You might say, I love you. Don't forget that. I love you. And then you want them to carry those things with them to send them off well. The author of Hebrews here then wants to send us off well. So the thing that he's really making sure is in our sack lunch that we carry with us is some guidance here now at the very end about how to relate to our leaders. The tidiest summary of this is in verse 17. Let me just read that verse again. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, you may hear some people who call themselves Christians say, Look, I only follow Jesus. Jesus is my leader. And there may be some good intentions in that, maybe even some truth in that. But if we only follow Jesus and no one else, we're not actually following Jesus. We're actually wandering off into our own way because Jesus has set up other leaders to help us as we follow him. He set up leaders as witnesses, as teachers, as shepherds of the flock, people who will keep us accountable and who will give us guidance as we follow Jesus. The Christian follows Jesus only in the context of a community. That's the reason why the Christian often reads books by other Christians. That's the reason why Christians, at least some, recite things like historic creeds and catechisms to affirm these things. That's the reason why Christians are members of particular churches, not just the church broadly, but particular churches with particular leaders who have authority over them. All of these leaders are human, of course, and no human is perfect, only God and God's word is perfect But still, there is good benefit to submitting ourselves to the appointed human leaders over us. There are many ways the scripture talks about submission to authority of leaders. We see things like citizens being encouraged to submit to their government leaders, that students would submit to their teachers, that bond servants or those who are in contractual work situations would submit to their masters, that children would submit to their parents. And so in all of these types of situations, there may be some wisdom in this section that we could apply to each of these relationships. But specifically here, the author is talking about the leaders who spoke to you the word of God. 
He's talking to us here about church leaders and elders. These are the ones to whom the congregation is called to submit. Now, at this point, let me acknowledge something. As a pastor, this is an odd text to preach, at least for me. (laughs) I mean, I've just said, submit to me. And that may sound a little bit arrogant or, or like a bit of an ego trip. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toot my horn and you're going to have to listen to me toot. Um, that's not quite the case, nor is that what's happening here. The reality is that I, as a pastor, experience both sides of this leadership and submission situation, especially in regard to things of the church. So if you you were here several years ago when I was ordained to this particular church and ministry, you may remember that I knelt here before you and took a series of vows. And you as a congregation in response also took vows. One of those vows that you took was this. Do you promise to submit to Nathan in matters of spiritual discipline and to receive with humility and love the word of truth? So you have pledged submission to me, but I also take a vow of submission. Mine reads like this. Do you, Nathan, promise subjection to your fellow presbyters or elders in the Lord? That I also, as a leader, am subject to the authority of other elders, both at Big Creek and broadly over the the whole of our denomination, because I am a sinner too, I also need to be under authority. We recognize here that no man can or should have absolute authority because too much power left unchecked is dangerous and it can be easily abused. We hear tragic stories sometimes in the news, maybe you're even personally aware of stories like this that even happen in the church where power is abused. We know all leadership, especially in the church, is derived authority. The authority is derived, meaning it comes from somewhere else. The authority comes from God. So if that leadership diverts from God, we should not submit or follow it. Our ultimate allegiance as Christians is to Jesus. So just as we heard in our affirmation of faith after our confession of sin, the apostles, when they were in conflict with the religious leaders who told them to stop talking about Jesus, they said, we can't. We must obey God rather than men. So submission should have limits. We have to be careful with this and need wisdom. But, but, listen now. We should also take care to avoid the opposite error, that we should not take our submission too lightly. Proper submission to Christian leaders is good, and it's of great advantage to submit to it. That's what the author of Hebrews once in our sack lunch. That's what he's now sending us to school with. 
So here's how the rest of our time now will go. This is how we're going to unpack this sack lunch. I want here to look at the various duties and calls upon both groups, those who submit and those who lead in the church. So we'll talk then about three duties of those who submit and three duties of those who lead. And what I don't want us to do is just think, oh, I'm in the submission category or the leadership category, so I'll listen to that side and just check out or maybe take a quick cat nap while he's talking about the other ones. We know that we all need to hear all of this because the journey of both are bound together. The leaders and those who submit are all riding in the same car. So we all need to hear all of this. So that said, here we go. I'm now physically warmed up a bit. My hands have gotten a little warmer. First, let's look at three duties or calls upon those who submit. The first call for those who submit is to Imitate the faith of the leaders. I get this from verse 7. Imitate the faith of the leaders. You'll notice here that he does not say that you should only agree with the teaching of the leaders, although that may very much matter. He, He says here, seek after their faith. Consider the outcome of their life. So have you ever met a person who you just thought, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. You know, maybe they're they're, a good guitarist or or they've got just really good style or they're they're confident, something about them. Oh, I want to be like you. The author is encouraging that in relation to Christians, that we would find a faithful Christian leader and imitate them, follow in their steps, That person of faith may not be famous, might not be wealthy, might not be cool. But if that person really knows Jesus, if that person is close to Jesus and seeks to follow after Jesus, that person will know their own sinfulness before Jesus, which will make them more humble and thankful. That person will know their own worth to Jesus, which will make them more secure and happier. That person will know their union with Jesus, which will make them stronger and braver and bolder. And that person will know the glory of Jesus, which will bring them to love and trust him more. When we look at a person like this, we get to see that lived out. So sometimes we ask ourselves the very famous letters now, WWJD. I know that's kind of gone the, the, you know, it's been a while since I've heard those. WWJD, what would Jesus do? There might be some benefit to that, although occasionally it's a bit of guesswork. What would Jesus do in this situation? In the midst of that, even though that may be good, sometimes let's not also forget what would our leaders do? These leaders who really know Jesus, and we know them, we can actually ask them, what would you do? So if you find yourself struggling with faith, one of the ways to strengthen that is to find a leader whose faith in Jesus is strong and get as close to them as you can. 
Watch how they live. Ask them good questions. Spend time with them if they'll let you. See, how, see their struggles and their mistakes and their sins even, and watch how they deal with those and bring those to Jesus. To imitate faith is part of our good submission to leaders. That's the first. The second now, the second call upon those who submit is to seek to bring joy to your leaders. Seek to bring joy to your leaders. I get this from verse 17 at the end of it. Let them, your leaders, do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, here's what he's saying. Don't make it hard to lead you. Don't make it hard to lead you. A person who nitpicks at everything is no fun to lead. A person who is demanding or stubborn is no fun to lead. A person who is always demanding to have reasons why everything is done is no fun to lead. That is exhausting and will bring groaning from the leadership. Backseat drivers usually don't make the journey better. They just make everybody mad. So if, if you cause the pastor to groan as he leads you, you're hurting him. But you're also hurting yourself. It's of no advantage to you to do this. And believe me, I know pastors in situations like this. And I wonder, honestly, if they'll make it where they are. I wonder sometimes how long is it before they leave because their people have made it really hard to love them. Fortunately, I'm not one of those pastors. Not because of me, but because of you. Just on a very personal note, you make it a joy for me to lead you. Ooh, didn't expect that to stick in me. I just don't have the horror stories that I sometimes hear from other pastors in their churches. It's not that all things go well here all the time. We know shepherding well is always difficult, but on the whole, it is my delight uh, to serve and to shepherd you. And let me be clear here. Delight or joy in leading does not mean that we only talk about happy things. There are many people who may be wrestling with various burdens, personal difficulties, pain, heartache, particular wrestles with sin, maybe confusions or doubts about questions about God, or maybe just having a hard time. And sometimes when people are going through that, they say or feel toward me, Nathan, I don't want to bother you with this. That isn't a bother to me at all. Do you know what would bother me? If you felt afraid or that you couldn't share with me or with our leadership. That would bother me. We want you to be able to engage with these things Sharing of burdens is part of the joy. 
So seek to bring joy to your leaders. That's part of our good submission to leaders. That's the second. Third now, at least, as we talk about those who submit, third call is to pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. I get this from verse 18, where he just says, pray for us. It is comforting to me when I read the New Testament how often the leaders and writers of the New Testament are asking for prayer. You know, when we ask for prayer, it is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of maturity to ask for prayer. It shows that you know that you need God's help when you ask for prayer. Because without, help, without God's help, we will not have the wisdom we need to lead people. We will not have the strength that we need to lead people. We, we, without God's help, we will also be vulnerable to abuse the power that he's given for our own selfishness to fail in so many ways. And we know, we know that nobody sees the failure of the leaders more than the people that they lead. Kids see their parents failures, don't they? Maybe they tell you when they're older or when they're younger. Citizens see the failures of their government leaders. Employees see the failures of their boss, and church members see the failures of their pastor and elders. When that happens, it is easy to let that spiral into frustration and to spin into griping and complaining. Those things will breed groaning instead of joy, not only for the leadership, but also for those who follow. Now, this does not mean that we ignore the failures. There may be times in which we need to confront failures of leaders, even sometimes broadly with big protests and such. But generally, as followers, we want to channel our frustrations into prayer, to pray that our leaders would act with a clear conscience, that they would do right, and that they would live honorably before the Lord. To pray for our leaders is part of our good submission to leaders. So there we go. Those are the three duties or calls upon those who submit in the church. Now, let's pivot to the flip side of this coin. Let's look at the duties and the call upon those who lead within the church. The first call upon the leaders is to speak the word of God to the people. To speak the word of God to the people. I get this from verse 7 here in the beginning of our text. So he says, remember these people who have spoken to you the word of God. And then the author kind of from that point launches into this big chunk of text in the middle before he talks about leaders again, where there's lots of discussion about altars and and food and blood sacrifices, lots of things which he's addressed earlier in the book. So we won't pull those apart here. All of these things are under the heading of those who are being away by, he calls them, diverse and strange teachings there in verse 9. So what seems to be happening here is that the people that the author of Hebrews is talking to had heard some twisted things, some odd teachings probably about which foods they could or could not eat as a Christian. And so the author here is trying to straighten this out with the teaching 
based on the Word of God. To teach the Word of God is one of, if not the most, one of the main tasks of the pastor. That's why Paul, when he set up Timothy as the pastor uh, or the elder over the church of Ephesus, says this. This is in 1 Timothy, in chapter 4. Let me begin in verse 11. Paul says this, Command, Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. The Christian leader here is obligated not just to speak or teach whatever we want. We don't just get to give our own thought on things or to tell you cute stories about our cat, which I have many, but I'll tell you later. The Christian leader's responsibility is to keep as close as we can to the Word of God. And even the Christian leader is not equal with the Word of God, but sits under the Word's authority. Which is why Paul says in Galatians, if anyone, anyone, even ourselves, or he says even an angel of God, if anyone preaches a different gospel to you than the gospel of Jesus, let that person be cursed. To speak the word of God to the people is part of how we lead the people. There's the first. The second duty here is to watch over souls of people, to watch over souls of people. I get this from verse 17. Now, when we're talking about watching over souls, some people may sometimes feel that Christian leaders are kind of like the cop on the side of the road. You know, the one that makes you automatically kick your foot to the brake just for a second, just out of knee-jerk reaction. That that, that that Christian leader has got his radar gun out and has got it pointed right in your direction, watching, just trying to catch you speeding. And we know, let's be honest, there are times in which leaders do need to address particular sins for the glory of God and for the good of the people. But that's not what keeping watch here is talking about in this section. The word for keeping watch literally means to not sleep, to keep awake. In other words, to be the guardian. So we have a chicken coop in our house, and we used to have six chickens. We now have four. I don't really know what happened to the other two. This was a while ago now. 
But whatever happened, it happened in the middle of the night when the chickens were most vulnerable. The dark of night is when they would need the most protection. So the Christian leader, the shepherd, keeps awake to keep watch over the flock, to guard in even the darkest parts. Because we know that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, and he wants to catch us when we're at our weakest. And we need help to resist him firm in the faith, which means that the Christian leader in guarding over souls sometimes literally loses sleep over the people. Because that leader cares and wants to protect the people from danger. We don't lose sleep out of anxiety, but out of a vigilance and love to keep watch over souls is part of how we lead the people. Third, and finally here, the third and final call, at least from this section, upon leaders is to give account for the people. To give account for the people. I get that from verse 17. Let me read it. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I heard one writer describe this verse as the verse that makes every pastor's blood run cold. And I can see the truth in that. I feel it at times that I would have to give account. We know we will have to give an account of how we led. There's some systems even now that we put in place to try to work toward that end. So we have a system of tracking our money. There's budgets and audits sometimes in various places to give an account. There are policies on various things so that we will give an account. There's maybe a report of how time is used, how my study leave is used, for example. Or there's records of meetings, like records of session and presbytery and general assembly. All of that is to keep an account, but that is not what is chilling to me. It's not that we will have to give an account to man, but that we will have to give an account to God for what we have done and not done. Jesus says to his followers in Matthew chapter 12, on the day of judgment, everyone will give an account for every careless word spoken. And if that's not enough, James even kicks it up a level. He says those who teach will be judged with even greater strictness. That'll make me swallow my gum. Now, this does not mean that Jesus is going to toss us into hell because I said a curse word or because I was maybe less clear about a particular doctrine than I should have been. We know, we know and hold confidence in that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not by works. So that includes all of our words, things spoken and unspoken, 
All of it must be under the blood of Jesus and is for the Christian. But what this does mean, what this does mean is we should take what we say seriously. This is especially true of teachers who are watchmen over souls. There's an example given to the prophet uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is described here as one who is holding a trumpet. We'll unpack this in a moment, but Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. Listen here. The word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet who does not take warning and the sword comes upon him, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet. He didn't take warning. His blood is upon himself. If he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But, but, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand, at the watchman's hand. In other words, what the Lord has said here is this. You, Ezekiel, you leader, you church leader, you I have given a trumpet. And if I send the sword in and you blow that trumpet to warn the people, and they, this is on their head how they respond, whether they listen to your trumpet or not. But if I send the sword and you see it coming, but you don't blow the trumpet to warn them, you will have to give an account, Ezekiel, for all of the people. And their blood, in a sense, will be upon your head. Burr. That makes my blood run cold. To give an account is part of how we lead the people. So, Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Pray for your leaders here and even broadly across our denomination that we will act faithfully and honorably. I will give all I can by God's help and grace to speak to you the word of God, to keep watch over your souls, and to give an account in a way that I hope is pleasing in the sight of the Lord about how I led. I want that to be honoring to you and to God. But I do know one thing for sure. I will fail you sometimes. I'll fail you sometimes. As a leader, I will fail sometimes as a dad. I will fail sometimes as a husband. I will fail sometimes as a pastor and as a leader. And the best thing that I can do 
is to keep reminding you that Jesus won't fail. Never. Jesus will never fail. The Father will never fail. The Spirit will never fail. God will never fail. He will lead you unfailingly. Make sure that's in your lunch sack. Take that to school with you. Jesus will always speak the word of God to us. Jesus will never sleep as he watches over your souls. And Jesus will give an account for his people with his spotless, pure love. That's good news. So as we now live to follow Jesus in leadership and in submission, we see in this just a small window of his immense care for the sheep. We see Jesus there as the chief shepherd over our souls. Would you pray with me? Lord, I feel the weight of this now, but I take great comfort in knowing your unfailing leadership. Lord, would you help us, each one, to lead and to serve and submit as you see fit. Help all of us to follow you wherever you lead. You are the good shepherd, and we trust you. Thank you for being our God. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.